Welcome to Reframing Our Stories. This podcast is dedicated to deconstructing the stories we've been told about who we are and how we're supposed to be. I'm your host, Kara Houck. Today, I am so very excited to be interviewing someone who means a lot to me. Mark Pickering was my sophomore year high school English teacher and my journalism teacher. Hands down, he was my favorite teacher in my high school experience. Pick, as we called him, was someone who began to reframe the stories I told myself about inadequacy. I was someone who always struggled to find the right words. Communicating clearly was hard for me, and it still is. Pick was the person who saw through my ramblings and saw meaning. I'm so grateful for this man who was patient with me, but also pushed me to be more. He believed in my writing and allowed me to showcase it through our school paper. He cared for us journalism kids, the motley crew that we were, and he gave us a space where we could practice being ourselves. Remember, I said that some of my interviews will be with people who have personally touched my life, and this man, he is one of them. Mark Pickering, thank you for this opportunity. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I guess I'm not technically there, it feels like I'm there through the magic of technology. <laughs> through the magic. We see each other, but we're not with each other. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. That is true. So was it strange for you? When I said, hey, Mark Pickering, do you want to be on a podcast? Um, yeah, actually it was. I think, the, I think my first thought was, it's sort of what you say when, you know, when you run into someone you haven't had a chance to catch up with in a long time and you go, let's get together for lunch. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it might be one of those kind of things. I didn't know you were actually going to interview me or keep up with this, this idea that we would actually talk and we would record it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm very I just pull out all the surprises <laughs> well I just appreciate it because I don't know if you remembered back in the day when I was in college and I had written an essay about you do you remember that and I, um, I came I came to school to Dow High and I was like hey and I came into the English office <laughs> and I said um uh, <laughs> so good to see you, Karen. <laughs> I call me by that's the impact I've made on you. <laughs> you were one of my favorite students. Um, remind me what class you were in. <laughs> I know you sat in the back, right? <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I came and I gave you this essay because I wrote about how I thought you were. I guess maybe I should retract it. No, <laughs> you were my favorite teacher. Yeah. Did you know you were uh, that I I had that much respect for you or that you were my favorite teacher? Um, you know, I think I could be. It's easy for me to be flippant when I'm a little uh, maybe I don't know if caught off guard, but uncomfortable. Maybe a little yeah. uncomfortable with compliments sometimes. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if you recall, but you know, as a teacher, um, I didn't feel like students needed one more person, especially I was older. When I started teaching, I was, you know, older than, than what typically happens. 
Hmm. And I came from the business world. I didn't feel an obligation to try to be a friend. You know, I wanted to be a guide. You know, I wanted to to be a resource for students. But um, unlike younger teachers, you know, who's, who I've watched, who I watched over the years, you know, that's really important to them that they're liked. Mm-hmm. And no one wants to be disliked. I didn't want to be disliked. I wanted to be liked. But I think I felt like these are like my kids, you know, mm-hmm. these aren't, these aren't really peers. And yeah. so um, I didn't know what kind of personal impact I was making because I tried to keep just enough distance where hopefully my students knew I cared about them mm-hmm. beyond just what was accomplished in the classroom in a grade book or, or whatever. But, um, but it's happened. It's happened over the years where I've, I've had students who have done kind of what you've done and shared something with me. I, evidently it's a very popular assignment in freshman English. <laughs> it really is. <laughs> It must be. It must be. And I don't want to make it sound like he's guy is full of himself. Oh, I don't know. Two, three hundred people have lost track. Uh, once I get over five pages of talking about how splendid I am, I generally just tune out. I mean, You're like, I just pulled open my file cabinet and put it in the, <laughs> in the papers I already have. Longest file cabinet. It's one of the longest drawer I, I own. Yeah, I just, uh, you're alphabetized. Yeah, you're in yes. there. He <laughs> went back there and was like, you were like, oh, that's grammatically incorrect. <laughs> Which was typical <laughs> for me. <laughs> oh, oh my. Um, well, I get to hear that quite a bit. I always heard that over my lifetime, you know, meeting people in other venues, mm-hmm. other adults in other venues. Yeah, so what do you do for a living? Oh, I teach. You know, Really? Where do you teach? Well, I teach at the high school. Oh, what do you teach? I teach English. Oh my gosh! I'm about, you know, and they go into this whole thing, and they're, you know, they're correcting themselves. And oh, wow, so I don't have an ear for that. You know, mm. I mean, I I do, but I don't make it a point, or I never did make it a, a point to to do that to critique people's grammar. That's, um, that's good because I I have a poor. <laughs> Somehow I feel like I actually missed a couple days in school when grammar was being taught because I'm always making mistakes with it, unfortunately. But that's one of the things I wanted to say. I just specifically remember a day where, you know, I feel like I was a really shy young lady and didn't have a lot of Mm self-confidence. And I I, um, always struggled. I, I don't know if you knew that I went through speech most of my life. I had to go to speech therapy. I had a hard time speaking and getting my words out. And I just felt like there was one day in particular, you sat down with me and uh, basically said, okay, uh, just talk. (laughs) I felt like you took a pen and paper. You're like, here, just talk it out and I will write it. And you just sat there and you just helped me because it was like you knew it was inside of me what I wanted to say, but I couldn't get it out. And I felt like you helped me draw it out. And then you gave me the confidence to be like, just keep working and it will come kind of thing. Yeah, that's a, that was that's a good story. I mean, that's a good one for me to hear. I don't think about always like the, the things that I did as a teacher that might have been helpful. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I know that it was a, it was a constant quest for me to try to figure out how, you know, in some way I could help students communicate their ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, I do remember doing that, uh, though, with some students. Of course, you're, you're relaying that I did it, uh, you know, with you two. I don't remember that particular day, you know, to be honest. Well, well I'm obviously. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you've um, had so many students, I wouldn't expect you to. But for me, that was, a, I felt like there isn't very many teachers who took that time for me. Because I just kind of was the quiet one who could just like skate on through. But I felt mm-hmm. like you were one of the first people who recognized that I was struggling but also I think recognize that I had the ability. I had a nose for underdogs. I, I really think I did. I, I um, And I, a less uh, flattering side to that was um, I had an ear for bullies in the classroom, especially mm-hmm. the subtle ones, the ones who, who thought that they were sneaking comments in or, or behaviors that would fly under my radar. Um, mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, that's kind of the classroom is a reflection of society. And uh, yeah. so you're just, you know, you're going to have some of that. And so um, as it relates more directly to, to what we were talking about, um, I think I was good at identifying students who had something to say, mm-hmm. but weren't necessarily confident in the way that they said it. Now, they, they said it well. They almost always did. In fact, that's what was interesting to me is I got a chance to, of course, read people's work nonstop for over yeah. 30 years. I mean, just, uh, you know, people used to ask me sometimes, uh, you know, so what book are you reading right now? And I, so I'm reading uh, blah, 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 whatever the assignment was, you know, and I've, right. I have over 800 pages to get through, you know, and, and when you think about, you know, I have two sections, 30 kids in a the class, they're all writing their, you know, their, their piece for you. And, I, I, right up until the time I retired, I guess I'm proud of the fact that I, I actually read kids' works. I mean, I, I, it would, I think it would be easy to skim it. It'd be easy to look for just a few key things. You know, are they getting it? Yeah. Um, but um, I look for, oppor- to give op- kids opportunities to write about themselves because that was important to them. Mm. Mm-hmm. Very intimidating, though, for some. That didn't work out for all kids. You know, they didn't want to write about themselves. The stories that they had to tell were painful stories, and they sure. didn't they didn't want to share them with me, and probably didn't want to share them with anyone. Um, and so, yeah, you were you were definitely one of those students who had a unique way of saying what you wanted to say, and probably on that day, you were worried about what your grammar sounded like. Probably, <laughs> and yes. I, you know, you probably were saying things grammatically. You know, the construction was fine, but the right. ideas were getting lost in that in that desire to be, you know, correct with with your mechanics. Well, even today, I thankfully have a business partner who's brilliant, and <laughs> she <laughs> she's always says to me, "Kara, you need to send me everything before you put it online." <laughs> Because she just, you know, she politely edits it and <laughs> sees where, where I've kind of messed up. I've been able to, to, I think, find my voice. And now it's something where I really want to be a writer. 
and I really want to be an author at some point. It's a dream that I've had, but I'm still, you know, very scared about that. And it is because I still feel inadequate because of the issues I've had with grammar and speech my whole life. But recognize too, I've learned, as people have said, the magic happens in the revision. <laughs> this is what I've learned. So I don't know. I love to write. You know, I, 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 I wish I could say since I retired that I've used that retirement to purposely sit down with a schedule and mm. and say I'm going to write for two hours every day. Blah 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 blah. I think it comes in spurts for me. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I do when I do write, there are two kinds of writing that I that I do as it relates to journaling. And you know, one is um, to to have a topic. It's, it can come from a lot of different directions, but to really just have a, a monologue with myself about mm. that topic. Yeah. The other kind of writing though, that takes place is exactly what you said, where I'll go back through files and I'll look at something that's like, wow, I wrote this in like 2012, mm-hmm. you know, and I'll, I'll open that up and I'll, I'll start to read through it. And just so you know, you're not alone. I might read through the first three sentences and go, yuck. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I think I know what I was trying to say, but no, that did not come out the way I wanted it to. And I, I end up going through and that's the other type of writing that I do is it, it fuels my, you know, like where I was seven or eight years ago or whenever that time was that I, you know, that I originally wrote that and then how life, life's experiences change our perspectives. Mm. Um, so that's the other kind of writing I enjoy doing is is that editing and revision when I look back. So I do. I always would encourage kids to to uh, hold on to your stuff. You know, yeah. you might be able to come back to it, but in the scope of a year, it's not it's not as powerful. It's true. Um, yeah, it's true. It's, I used to tell my freshmen that hold on to this stuff. I might have you as seniors. Who knows? And I did on occasion. Oh, that'd and be I would fun. Ask them, yeah, yeah, and I got a couple of them to do that. I got a couple of them to look back at their you know, some kind of freshman assignment that I held on to because, you know, with the advent of files, electric files, electronic files, I could, I could pull it up. Yeah, that's cool. And they would read it. Most of the time they would laugh pretty heartily at themselves, but, (laughs) but uh, yeah, it's fun. So you had mentioned before that you came into teaching from the business world. So what made you want to become an English teacher? Well, I mean, I'm, I grew up, how far back do I want to go with this? I almost have to give it some context, you know. I grew up in the 70s, Mm -hmm. and that was a turbulent time. Mm -hmm. And I think there were a lot of people for the first time, maybe, most definitely in in the baby baby boomer generation, you know. It was the first time that that people were encouraged to, you know, to break a mold, to do something different. Yeah. Um, And... And within my family, I come from a large family, but um, I have a brother who retired a captain in the sheriff's department. I have a sister who's still nursing. And I mean, she's a, fantastic and she just can't retire. And, uh, but I also have, you know, siblings who are just tradespeople mm-hmm. and they're just, they're, there weren't a lot of college. You know, we didn't, it wasn't talked about a lot in our mm-hmm. house, although education and and school was important. It was valued, right. um, you know, just, and as I was growing up, I think that 
appreciation that my parents passed on to me, the respect for teachers. Um, I ran into those teachers. You know, those ones who are my favorite teachers are the ones who made an impact on me. So I thought about, you know, that would be something I could see myself doing because uh, I'd like to have an impact on other people, something, you know, something positive. But I remember when I was in college, my, uh, you know, trying to figure this out, just taking classes just to get started. And I went to a career counselor and we tried to hash out, you know, what are the potentials? And I had talked about teaching and he said, oh, you might as well go straight to the unemployment line. You know, five year project, you know, prediction of five years is, you know, there won't be any jobs, blah, 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 blah. Hmm. You know, for a 20 year old, that was intimidating. Yeah. And so I ended up, you know, I ended up just going into the business world and, and I was, maybe this is, I, I see this as a trait, my family, I was well equipped to, to talk to people. Um, with some kind of sincerity that that drew them in and I kept getting funneled into positions that would be not necessarily sales like I'm going to sell you something but more like I'm going to sell you on our company the value of what our company does hmm. and so um, the last job that I really did and I continue to do it part-time while I was in school and finishing up my teaching getting my certificate is uh, I was a liaison for our company, I went into, we were a temp company, but you know, at that time, international company, bigger than, than Kelly Services, which is kind of the, the temp mm-hmm. company that employs so many people in, in our corporations here in town. But at that time it was called interim and I was a liaison. I went in um, and interacted with the Dow supervisors and made sure our employees were doing the things they were supposed to do and really just keeping them happy. Mm-hmm. And um, so it, there was a challenge to it but always in the back of my mind. And that's why I went back to get my teaching degree is I think this is what I want to do. And uh, yeah, it's too late to make a uh, long story short, but um, (laughs) ended up, it was a great decision, right? I mean, it was, it was what I wanted to do. It was what I needed to do. So what was it like for you being the journalism teacher? You taught English Mm -hmm. and what was, you know, of course, but I feel like journalism was kind of a whole different um, flavor, if I can say. Mm. So what was that like for you? Uh, and what was the difference between those two worlds of classes? Well, you know, I, I don't think I, I would have shared this with any of my students. And, I, and as you know, I mean, I, as journalism, journalism advisor, I was closer to those students than I, I got with any other students. You spend all that time together. Mm-hmm. And you're working under pressure and you're spending enough time together to be a family. And if you're a family, there's going to be some dysfunction. Oh yeah. And You know, so <laughs> we had those moments where we didn't like each other and moments where we loved each other. And mm-hmm. so in the end, I can look at it holistically and say, wow, uh, journalism meant a lot to me. Mm-hmm. But in the beginning, um, it was, if you want a teaching job here, you need, you'll have to be the journalism teacher. It wasn't something that I pined to do. I, I want to be a journalism teacher. Wow, teaching journalism would be just awesome. Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, it, was, it was like doing battle every day with was, myself. Oh, really? oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I did not feel like I brought, like I, I had enough to offer. 
to the kids. My first editorial uh, board was, uh, and I'm talking about the very first, and it, and it lasted about two months, that editorial board. Hmm. Um, when did you, were, well, when did you start teaching journalism then? 92. 92, okay. The fall of 92, yeah. And uh, what I realized is, um, I, first of all, it was the last hour of the day. Mm -hmm. So I'm exhausted. Yeah. I really am. I'm, mo I'm, I'm kind of mentally, you know, exhausted um, because I, well, I guess because I am, I, that's just, that's my routine. I'm an early morning person. So in the afternoon, I have to work through that, uh, that kind of dead space. And, uh, you know, in comes 33 kids. Now, class sizes at that time were 22 to 25. And I have a journalism class of 32 kids. Some of them are sitting on a table in the back. Now, there's not even a chair for them, a desk for them. And, and I'm seeing a cross-section of the school. And they've huh. naturally divided themselves up into their species, their own species, so yeah. they can feel comfortable. And um, and so when this this editorial board was uh, just a conglomeration of, of different personalities, different segments of the school, and they didn't really necessarily get along with each other. And um, and they were big at knowing what needed to be done, but not following through. And mm. um, so I made a decision. The first two papers I thought were fairly disastrous efforts. Mm -hmm. And uh, I was trying to be a journalism teacher and it wasn't working. I, mm -hmm. I mean, I knew that I knew the nuances of how, of how to write something. I read, yeah. I was, a, I was a loved, I still do. It's my favorite kind of read mm -hmm. current events and, yeah. and publications. So I had a feel for what, it should look like what it should sound like, and I and I'm older than these students, so I also know that you can't write a story up based on just what you heard. You know, you gotta go talk to people, and yeah, there's an art, there's an art form of talking to people, and I could teach that, mm -hmm. but um, yeah, I just it it again. I, I'm saying this in retrospect, but at the time, I just felt I'm in over my head. These kids are, you know, they need direction, and I don't know how to give it to them. Mm -hmm. So in the beginning, it was not really pleasant. But what happened in that first year is I, I, I think it was five or six sophomores. There were no freshmen in the high schools at that time. Right. Who sort of stuck it out as I, in a loving way, I really mean this, in a, in a caring way, I should say. I don't know if it's loving, but in a caring way, I, I started to weed kids out of positions of leadership that were not leaders. Mm -hmm. And but they had to have replacements. And I, and I saw this group of five or six sophomores and, and um, started slowly plugging them into these positions, which, which created some resentment with the upperclassmen who just dropped out of the class. Sure. And so we ended up with, I ended up with 17 kids in journalism at the end of my first year, that's all. And oh, we put wow. together the paper, 17 kids, some of them writing four or five stories, you know. Um, wow. Yeah, so it's a, it's a, it was very rewarding though because mm -hmm. it laid the groundwork. Those four or five kids understood probably better than I, you know, than maybe I wanted them to. That uh, it's not so much what I had to offer; it was what I was willing to do to help put together a good paper. 
-hmm. and uh, help them put together a good paper. And then your group of editors, you know, you guys came in and it was like, I, I just, I got two or three, you know, groups of kids that came in one after another. And um, I can make an analogy, you know, because I've coached for a long time too. And, and uh, you know, uh, a bad coach can win with good players, but a good coach doesn't necessarily win with good players. You know, you think that's a given, you know, but, uh, you know, bad players will produce, if you're a good coach, uh, improvement. Like you'll see improvement and that's mm -hmm. fantastic. Mm -hmm. But when you end up with talented kids who want to take the reins, it just, it makes you look good too. And it frees <laughs> you up to kind of be yourself. And that's, yeah. that's what our, you know, that's what our group, your group had. Um, and that's what made journalism different for me, ultimately. Okay, now I'm, now I'm looking five or six years into yeah. this mm -hmm. thing. And it was the kind of thing where I had said earlier, I, I tried to keep a little bit of a distance. You know, you don't need another friend. But um, th that was kind of out the door with my editors. Um, yeah. I, I kind of felt the, not the opposite, but just kind of let things happen the way that they would. I didn't try to go out of my way to be, to be friends with them, but I wanted them to feel like they were my, my equal. And I was willing to step in as more like a dad, right? In a, in a, well, I mean, you, you know, gave me the nickname booger. Do you remember this? You know, <laughs> you, just you gave started, me a heads up on that. You, <laughs> you just kept calling me booger. And I was like, I, what? <laughs> Probably. <laughs> I have no way of knowing, but I'm trying to salvage something here. <laughs> People might be listening to this besides you and me. I hope so, right? And we're, pulling, we're pulling for a big audience. Eventually, right. nationwide. This will be in an archive. And eventually, when you're famous, people will go back and listen to it. But, right. but um, anyway, um, I'm quite certain that I was trying to prod you a little bit. <laughs> well, the thing that was funny to me is that that is actually the the nickname my dad had for me and so the moment you said booger i was like do i have something on my face like what is it <laughs> <laughs> that you were just naturally calling me booger <laughs> that's what threw me off but i would say well, that was interesting what i loved about our journalism class like you said there's so many different kids i mean we came from all different you know as you would say social groups yeah. um and I do believe there was times when we would butt at each other's heads, but most time, I think we develop a deep respect for one another. And I want to say that I feel like your leadership helped with that, of like being able to see what each person could bring into awesome the... Awesome you to say. I, I hope that's the case. Yeah. You know, when I, look, when I look back at journalism, um, I really hadn't done it for very long when I... When um, in that first year, when I realized um, I got to recruit kids, you know, I, I need to recruit kids. I can't just hope that the right kids sign up for this. And so what would be interesting question I have for you, did you just sign up for journalism or did I recruit you? Did I talk to you about coming into journalism? Well, actually, uh, this is the one of the things my mom got right. And I, and I think she actually even told me I had to say that. <laughs> podcast <laughs> that my mom was, uh, had told me she, I mean, she even said that she thought I was a good writer because I used to write poetry all the time. Mm -hmm. That's kind of how I got 
um, besides dancing, how I would express myself. So she said she had done journalism in school and she found it to be rewarding and fun. And she said, I want you to try it. And I was like, no, <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to do it, mother. Um, but she pretty much was like, no, you have to. Like, I'm, you have to take this as an elective. And so it was one of those things when I entered in, I was like, oh, dang it, this is kind of fun. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Right. So it was really my mom who made me get into it. And then of course I stuck with it because it was really, it was a place where I felt too that as we were exploring high school, um, you, you had the ability of letting us just figure things out. Like we could talk about things honestly in that class. It didn't scare you. I remember like, I remember one of the girls one day and you probably won't remember this was just like, I have the worst cramps in the world. So she just laid on the floor. <laughs> she talked about her, her having a period and you're just like, all right, we'll do what you need to do. <laughs> you're like, if that's comfortable and you're still listening, that's fine. You know, <laughs> like it was just one of those things where I just felt like we could um, explore who we are in a safe way and in a way that made us feel protected. Like you did, you know, as you were talking about how you didn't want to be the friend, but you, you were definitely a mentor. But I almost feel like in that sense, you became someone who we could trust and that we could just be willing and, you know, be our silly selves and say dumb things and You'd be like, cool. <laughs> How can we change this into something productive? <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah, that sounds familiar. It does. <laughs> you know, there were there were so many discussions that could go off the rails because there were strong personalities sometimes. Oh yeah. You know, and I think uh, even taking someone like yourself as a, as a good example. You know, someone who built enough confidence that by the time you've been in it you were willing to express your views on something, right? And that's, so uh, it, uh, hopefully it sounds like it, you know, it encouraged kids to, to be willing to, to kind of express their, their ideas. The, the other thing I, I will remember about journalism, um, and hopefully uh, anyone listening to this won't, won't necessarily put two and two together and put any names, you know, to these scenarios, but uh, I saw journalism as an outlet for different kids, I, I saw that was important, right? I saw, um, you know, someone who ran away from home in high school mm. because she didn't want to move with her parents who had relocated. She wanted to go back home and journalism ended up being a place where she was able to express that. Yeah. You know, I think that inner turmoil, mm -hmm. um, and I'm not saying that she wrote, because that doesn't really happen in journalism. Go ahead and write about, you know, how difficult it is to, you know, to move. And we'll just print that. But instead, in a story, you know, in a, a story form, whether it be a feature, that's most likely what it would have fallen into. Mm -hmm. um, you know, in a community where so many kids move with parents who are making career moves or have had to move because of work. Um, hey, that's an interesting feature, right? I mean, and... Yeah. and and those students, she knew the other kids who were mm -hmm. in as much pain as her. Mm. And 
Um, that was a way to kind of get, you know, to get her involved. I had a student who, um, you know, just a terrible home life. And I, her classmates, some of them might have known about it, but I knew almost all the details. Hmm. And, um, you know, it's journalism became her family. Yeah. Because she really didn't have a, you know, a family. And, and I remember her giving me a hug in her senior year, heading out the door. I broke my ribs. But it was, um. you know, I mean, it, it was hard for her to, to leave. Now, I've stayed in contact with her and she's, she's doing fabulous, but she wasn't as a high school student. Right. Not until she had had a chance to be, I guess, part of something. And that's, that's what journalism did is it, it really helped. It helped me to see how kids from really diverse backgrounds mm-hmm. could kind of come together. So what did, what did, what was, what did you learn then from us? from the Motley crew of journalism of the teenagers that what, what did you learn that we really needed? Um, well, you needed an, an outlet for expressing your, what was important to you. Yeah. Um, and you needed people who were genuinely listening to, to what that, that message was. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, it's, it doesn't sound terribly complicated because I've had a chance to reflect on it for such a very long time. If you'd have asked me that question 25 years ago, I'm not sure I could have answered it. Huh. You know, I mean, or if I would have answered it, I don't think I, I could have answered it with the same kind of, of uh, experience and depth. I mean, to, to really understand. And I carry that lesson, Kara, I mean, throughout really my teaching career. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes I found myself, uh, especially as I got later in my career and the emphasis was on standardized testing and the results of those tests and would find myself sometimes really um, pressing kids to improve mm-hmm. and knowing what they needed to do from a technical standpoint, you know, your, your right. organization is for an, you know, for an instant, you know, for instance, kind of thing, you know, it's like you, you're a good thinker, but your ideas are all over the place. And yet you have some central idea in there. I can sort of see it, but you're burying it. Mm-hmm. Right. And, uh, and so that's not, you know, that in and of itself is not necessarily important to the student, right? What's important to the student is, so you're telling me you actually know what I'm trying to say? You know what I mean? Like, right. so you saw the main point in there, right? And, <laughs> you know, it was just a reminder. It was always a reminder in my, you know, throughout my career that mm-hmm. every person really is probably more accurate, wants to know that when, when when they're expressing themselves that, uh, that you're hearing what they're saying. Yeah. Yeah. That's huge. So another thing that really, uh, I appreciated about you as a person, right? Cause sometimes we think teachers are aliens. (laughs) You don't have a life outside of the school kind of thing. I had a cave (laughs) in a cave. That was it. (laughs) Right. And some work clothes. (laughs) And you magically appeared. Thank you for listening to the Reframing Our Stories podcast. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to the podcast and consider becoming part of the community by becoming a patron. You can do that by going to patreon.com backslash reframing our stories. 
There you can see the options that fit and speak to you personally. We hope that these stories are helping you reframe the stories. So I, you know, we would go to the basketball games. I was a Palmer and you would come to the basketball games and you would bring your daughters with you. And I mm-hmm. want to say that, did they have the cheerleading outfits, like the Dow High cheerleading outfits? Yeah. I feel um, like they would friend, wear those. A friend of ours. Yeah. Her daughter was in, um, was either a cheerleader or was in Palm, one of those two. And um, anyway, it started out where I took my oldest, Amy. Um, at first it was trying to protect her from getting trampled, right? She wanted to sit close to the floor because she wanted to be by the cheerleaders or the palmers. And, mm-hmm. and, but it wasn't very long after that, that she wanted to get out onto the floor, you know, mm. and it was, and so I looked for opportunities. Um, I think I knew early on that I was raising a strong little child. So, you know, I couldn't keep the thumb on her. And, you know, and have her want to come. I wanted her to be with me. I wanted to spend time with her. And yeah. uh, so I had to look for those opportunities when it would be safe. And in those opportunities, then this mother saw that and made her the skirt, and bought her the oh. sweater. And then um, when Hannah, um, you know, started going to games with us, it was almost like a given. And what's kind of ironic is that <laughs> Hannah could care less. Right. So she wanted to, she wanted to Sprite and the popcorn. That was, that was enough. You know, I don't need to get up and do, you know, do the cheering. And the, <laughs> I'm just fine. So, but yeah, those were, those were yeah, important times for me too. You can mm-hmm. lose touch of, during the course of a school year, you can, you can lose track of what's important mm-hmm. regarding your family because there are so many deadlines and your, your life is so regimented according to those deadlines, grades and well in journalism, right. And production, yes. you know, and, cause we would and spend long hours in production. We would go home yeah. like at midnight. <laughs> sometimes. sometimes we did, sometimes we did. And that was, uh, you know, that was, um, it was something I learned to appreciate when I had a, you know, when I had a staff that I could get to come in to production after, right after school and try to get some work done, because I knew every hour that we worked from 3.30 to 5.30 mm-hmm. was an hour that we weren't going to work from 9.30 to 12.30. And yeah. being home and, you know, and being part of that bedtime routine was a, I mean, to me, it was a, a real key part of, of what I wanted to do as a dad. It was a, I mean, the girls remember that. They remember that it was uh, story time. And mm. then it was, uh, you know, then it was, I played the guitar and I'm not very good. I'm no Dave Kelly. Oh, that's... But, you know, I would, <laughs> I would play the guitar and I would make songs up with their names in it. Mm-hmm. And just simple, simple little tunes that repeated. But, uh, and then, you know, we would end it with, you know, prayer and, and then kisses and an encore. There was always oh. an encore, right? That was, I, I knew that I, when I left, it was coming back. Yeah. <laughs> like, I feel yeah. like you, you've had many encores. <laughs> I feel yeah. like there's times when you've left the journalism room, you're like, go back to work, and you come in, you're like, so anyway. <laughs> you're like, That's, yeah, I, mean, I think you I mean, like encores. <laughs> maybe I do. 
That's really Maybe the sweet, girls though. were sleeping and I was walking back in and waking them up. Are you sure you're sleeping? <laughs> Did you want one more? I have one more for you. One more, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so what, um, now you're a grandfather. And that's mm -hmm. been a joy for me to see. I There's been, you've posted videos of you singing to your granddaughters on social media and just walking them around and talking to them as you're pushing them in the <laughs> stroller. And I'm like, is this the cutest thing of my life? <laughs> so what has that been like for you to become a grandfather? Because it seems like you're living your best life right now. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, and, the, and the title of your podcast is so appropriate. Um, more than, like for me, more than you can imagine. Uh, it, it really, it is like reframing mm -hmm. my my life. Uh, I guess I, you know, I, I never, when I think about my, my daughters, it's one of those kind of different kind of relationships. I mean, I met my wife when I was really young. I met her on my 20th birthday and we got married like, you know, a year later. Oh, wow. That's something that I ever wanted my own daughters to, to move <laughs> that quickly. Mm -hmm. And then it was almost like I think we understood that, wow, we really made this big decision and mm -hmm. we held up having kids um, for a long time. Mm -hmm. So when we had kids, I was ready to be a dad. I was probably ready to be a dad in my head before then. Yeah. But I, I kind of was able to season myself a little bit as far as life experiences are concerned and maybe even maturity. Um, to able to do some of the things for myself, you know, that might be more selfish time-wise. So mm -hmm. when they came along, it was, I'm ready for this. No, that's great. But even with that, um, you know, I, I learned to love my wife. I, I thought I, you know, I thought I loved her when I married her. I mean, I can now look back 40 years later and say, no, I think I was infatuated with her. Mm. Um, what I feel for her now is way, way deeper than what I felt then. Hmm. And you know, and I and I've had a chance. You live long enough. You you spend enough time with people over a period of time. You know, you learn to love them. You really, you know, and you learn to excuse the their flaws and embrace your your time with them. Yeah. But my daughters, it was not like that at all. Um, I was there when they were born, and I mean, from the minute that I held them. Hmm. I was in love with them. I, I, uh, I would do anything for them. Hmm. And uh, so I didn't know what to expect when I was, you know, when they let me be with them when they gave birth to, to my granddaughters. I didn't know what to expect the first time. I certainly knew what to expect the second time, right? Because I had been through the first one. And, and you were was, in the room with them when they gave yeah. birth? Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, uh, so it, it was a, a clear opportunity at the right moment to, to be a cheer, you know, be a, a support, but mm -hmm. to take a backseat because that was a moment for mom and dad. That was not a moment for Papa to, yeah. you know, mm -hmm. let me take a leg. <laughs> 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 I baby <made me> too. <laughs> you know. So I don't want to make it sound like yeah, I was there. I was there to see it. You know, mm -hmm. that was the that was the amazing part. And then mm -hmm. it was not, you know, it was it was my daughters being who they they are. 
um, I was not as a as they were teenagers. I was not always the most patient dad, um, mm. but they've been in those kind of moments. They they've always been so gracious, and I think they could maybe they could see how important it was to me. Yeah, it was important to them to you know I know it was, but I mean you know just as important to them that I was there. But all I know is um, it was like. It's like a recreation of that that first moment, and hmm. um, and in a lot of ways, um, this grandparenting is so much better because I I don't carry any kind of burdens that made me um, I don't know anxious, uh, cranky, uh, mm-hmm. you know I don't know the pressures just, we put on ourselves as parents do yeah yeah old. exactly. Exactly. And I, and I, and I am so much, uh, better at just looking at things and saying, don't let that bother you. It's okay. You know, I had one of those moments, uh, because Hazel is, uh, you know, she is the daughter of my strong-willed daughter and she is strong-willed. She's so strong-willed and, but she's, you know, I've, I've, I've had a chance to see what that looks like mm. in adulthood, you know, that independence, uh, but not independent of me or the people she loves, just her sense that um, even if I'm, even if I'm nervous about this, I'm the one that's got to do it. Hmm. I got to do this. I have to do this. I can't, you know, I'll let you hold my hand when I come back and tell you about how it went. Yeah, that's cool. You know, and mm-hmm. and I see so much of that in Hazel, and it's a struggle right now. You know that uh, terrible twos, which is you know creeping into the awful threes, and and we were there, and uh, yeah, it's been it's if she has a meltdown in the restaurant and and wants to drink her ranch cup of ranch dressing instead of <laughs> you know instead of eating the the uh, stick or whatever it is, the you know, it's kind of like. Who cares? It won't kill her. Yeah. <laughs> Let her drink it. You know what's going to um, happen? She's going she's gonna to get like a couple of sips into that and go, this is gross. Where's that cheese stick at? <laughs> I know. But when I was a parent, that those became moments like, no, now we're going to have to have a time out if you don't listen to me. Oh, yeah. I don't, I don't even think about those along those lines as a grandparent. I wish so, I could adopt the grandparent mentality because <laughs> yes. it's yes. hard. It is hard. Oh, it, is. it is. You can't build, you know, and that's the, that's the thing. You have a responsibility as a parent. And I say you, but I'm, maybe I'm talking to parents as a, as yeah. a whole. Mm-hmm. Um, you said it, you know, you carry a burden with you mm-hmm. and, um, you know, we're not nearly as important when I look back, I mean, I wasn't nearly as important in how they turned out as I thought I was at the time, Mm. but you have to, you have to have those feelings as you, I think as a parent yeah, to be able to live with yourself. And it helps you show up, you know, I mean, it helps you, Mm -hmm. for instance, say, get out of here, kids from your production class. I need to go. (laughs) I need to do, I need three encores tonight. (laughs) (laughs) Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. That's, that's so true. So, so yeah, that's uh, the grandparenting thing is, is, um, yeah, it's not a do over. 
because um, I don't think it, you know, you just can't do those things over. You're a parent once and it doesn't stop. You know, you're, I'm still a parent, right? I still, I still have some of those same feelings. It's interesting how I can be a little bit anxious sometimes, even for my adult daughters, I can be a little bit concerned about maybe, um, you know, I don't know, whatever decisions that they're making or, or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, but when it comes to Hazel and Sage, it's just, just come here. Yeah. And I just <laughs> gonna give him a hug and we're gonna go play in the playground. We're gonna make cake out of stones and wet sand. And <laughs> that's cool. Just gotta find the right colored stones, you know. That's the most important that's, thing. I just have to that, make sure the stones are the right. That's crucial. Color. Right. <laughs> exactly. So is there any particular experience in teaching that impacted you the most that then changed the way you parented? Well, yeah, I think that's the, I think it's the other way around for me. Oh. Um, it's not so much that there was something that happened in teaching that impacted my parenting. It was actually my parenting that impacted How my teaching. Taught. Oh, I see. Yeah. So as I, as my daughters got older and um, I'm going to say it really probably in middle school, I started actually paying attention to what they were saying about what happened in school, whether it was mm. with a group of friends or a teacher, mm. you know, and mm -hmm. uh, the way a teacher, you know, operated a classroom. And there are so many good professionals, Kara. There's so many good professionals, but um, people get tired. They have their own ways of doing things that aren't necessarily my way of doing things. And uh, my daughters would express those I don't know, but they're disdained sometimes for mm. something, you know, for someone not caring or seeming like they didn't care or not trying as hard as they thought, you know, that they should. And so that kept me trying harder. You know, mm. I mean, it, it really, as a teacher, it was like, hey, any one of these kids could be having a conversation with their parents. Now, it wasn't from the perspective of, mm. I don't want to sound bad or I don't want bad publicity. <laughs> right. You know, it was, it was more like, uh, no, all of my students are somebody's daughter, somebody's son. Yeah. And it's my responsibility to, you know, to, to treat our time in the classroom. Like, like it's important. Like that's the impression I want them to have that mm -hmm. I care. That's it. You know, I care about what we're doing. I care about them. Yeah, um, because I had a chance to hear enough times when that didn't seem that way to my daughters. Well, I'll say, I mean, I feel, you know, you know, I'm a sexual health educator now. <laughs> which whoever thought that I would. I would, this. I would see that coming. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things I say all the time to you, to youth and to parents that the thing that helps our sexuality and who we are is especially when we are seen and when we are acknowledged and when we are heard. And I feel like that again, like I've said before, is truly what you did well. I felt very seen by you and I felt yeah. cared for. And so I appreciate that immensely. And your daughters are very lucky that you were able to 
to love them so big and to share that with others. So I really appreciate that. Thank you. That's, yeah. that's really nice to hear. I'll hold on to that. Yeah. So one last question before we have to, uh, you know, wrap it up, I suppose. Since you have been in the education field so much, I'm curious, because we are recording this during a pandemic, and teachers right now are just facing the biggest, <laughs> I think, challenge. Like, what do you, what's in your heart for these teachers, or what can you say to those who are listening about teachers and what they're doing? I think this is a time when um, when frustrations can cause people to to focus on the wrong thing. Yeah. Um, it can it can cause us to look at our differences more than the things that bring us together and, mm -hmm. and help us, you know, face a challenge as a, as you know, as a group, as a unit, you know, a Republic. Mm. Um, and when I think of, of teachers, you know, I think of my sister who works with the elderly and who has gone in to work you know, throughout the pandemic. Um, and there are other healthcare workers. And I, you know, I, I, uh, the last thing I want in, in this time to catch up with each other is to, you know, say anything that's uh, political. But, you know, there are so many people in our society that serve us yeah. in one, one form or another. And some are really good at it and some are, are not. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <That's true. laughs> um, and when I hear, and I do hear this uh, because it, I have an ear for it, you know, when I, when I hear people, I could say parents, but I, I think it could be grandparents, but people don't even have kids, but you know, anybody who's been in school for 12 years considers themselves an expert in education. Mm -hmm. So they're, they're more than willing to share their views on it. But anytime I hear people talk about you know, the poor kids and oh, all what the parents are having to do. It's like, you're right. It's tough on the kids and we should recognize it. It's tough on the parents. We should recognize it. But, um, but I have friends who are still teaching mm. that when I talk to them and I ask them, you know, how are you doing this? I don't hear complaining. What I hear is, well, here's what I'm having to do. And then yeah. they just lay out the things that they're doing. Yeah. And I'm proud of, I'm proud of, of my profession for that yeah. reason. Well, I you think know? teachers are superheroes all the time. Like I had an experience, I got to experience um, teaching um, master level therapy students. And after that experience, I was, I was just like every teacher on the face of this planet. <laughs> it's a lot. And just the fact of, you know, you as an English teacher, everything you've had to read. I mean, that's, it does, it takes dedication and it takes hard work and the emotional and the uh, social aspects that you help uh, youth navigate. It's a lot. And I just think that teachers are underappreciated for sure. So. Well, I mean, I, I, I know that's sincere coming from you and I and I would hear that from people that I knew it was you know I knew it was sincere and um, 
it just it makes you feel less um, alone, maybe, in this you know this thing. And I'm sure that's the way some teachers feel. Yeah. Not that they're abandoned. Um, I don't hear anybody talking about that, but I I do I do hear the emotional stress that they're under. Yeah, and, that's a lot. You know, it was before the pandemic. There were there is a growing there's a growing sense that. Um, you know, teachers are in it for the wrong reasons, and mm-hmm. maybe they're, maybe they, you know, they're just been given too much, and so they're a little, maybe a little spoiled, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, and so I'm I'm not saying that's the predominant message, or that's the one that I you know I heard a lot when I was I was teaching, but I'm sensitive to it, so when I hear it, it sticks. You know, I mean, it's like sure. I, I pay attention to that yeah um, yeah so yeah thanks thanks for the the support you know yeah. to the nice comments and and recognizing i think the hard work and and the difficulty of being a teacher but if it wasn't for that difficulty i'm not sure i would have you know it would have been as rewarding i mean yeah. you get to you get to wear so many different hats and i like to solve problems and so it gives you lots of opportunities yeah, that's good. Well, I wish I could give you the journalism salute. <laughs> do you remember? <laughs> oh, I will definitely do. Today, <laughs> in court. <laughs> What'd you say? That was, uh, yeah. Yes, there you go. For those who, who can't see, the journalism salute was hitting your shoulders and then you hit people's head. <laughs> this probably doesn't go over well. But <laughs> I mean, it was, I mean, let's be fair. It was always an, it was always a, a glancing blow. I mean, it was an open palm glancing blow. It was, it was designed to maybe move some vertebra, but not actually have them pop out of here. Right. Ah, oh, we took it well. Yes, you did. Yes, you did. I had more than one journal, you know, journalism student look at me with a hurt look like, well, I'm not getting it. You're not, I'm not getting this. That was the best. Well, thank you so much for just allowing me to spend time with you and just thanking you for uh, helping me become who I am today. So I appreciate that. Well, it makes me feel good. It makes me feel good. I, I, you know, as you know, I creep on you all the time on Facebook. (laughs) (laughs) follow anybody on Facebook and I'm (laughs) only people my age could actually get that right because no one's talking that way anymore anyway but right (laughs) no no, it's 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 great it's great to follow you and I could name others as well you know that are journalism students that have stayed in contact but it's it's just to see them Mm -hmm. you know living life and doing the things that they're they're doing really cool yeah so thanks. Awesome. Well, thank thanks, you. Yeah.